We've walked through the chapters verse by verse. And today is the last message where we're going to go back and pull out some truths from these first three chapters on the topic of work. So this title of this message is TGIF and Genesis. TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Common slogan. And Genesis. Have you guys seen some of those bumper stickers around about work? You seen the one IO, IO, so off to work I go? Or this one, work fascinates me. I could sit and watch it all day. Or maybe you've seen this one. I've seen it on the license plate holder. Retired. No work, no boss, no hurry, no worry. And of course, the slogan, thank God, it's Friday. There's a lot of ideas that we have about work. We have 168 hours in every week. We sleep roughly eight hours, seven or eight hours, or nine hours a night, depending on who you are, or less. The average person works more than 50 hours a week, counting time at work and time outside of work. Actually, I shouldn't say that. The person who works outside the home works about that. The person who works in the home, I'm aware of my wife, averages about 70 or more hours, actually, a week. So we spend a lot of time working. And I thought it was important for us to kind of take some time to look at what the Word of God says about work because we spend a lot of time doing it, and a matter of fact, it has a lot to do with how we view life itself. How we view work has a lot of influence on in how we view life itself. And God is so good to give us His Word. He's given us this book of Genesis that hits on these key themes right away. And so we can learn a lot about work from the book of Genesis. So with that in mind, that work is important, and that God wants us to know what he thinks about work so that we can learn and grow and be blessed in him. Let's pray as we prepare to look at the word. Lord, we thank you again for your goodness to us. Lord, you care about every aspect of our lives. Lord, in your redemption, your winning back of, back of us from our sin to yourself, Lord, reaches and permeates every area of our lives and certainly work. We thank you for that. Thank you for the power of your word to accomplish your purposes. Thank you for your ministry, Holy Spirit, through the word. And so, Lord, as we come before you this morning, as we come to exercise this gift of preaching in, in your body, Lord, we just recognize our need for you. We ask you to come and be here and breathe on your word, breathe on the preaching of your word. Minister to your saints. Teach us, Lord, and change our lives according to your word, according to the gospel, for your glory, Lord. So, Lord, we're excited about what you're going to do. We look forward to you ministering to us, and, Lord, using me, a weak vessel, a sinful vessel, to show that your power is made perfect in weakness. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis. I'm going to hit on some verses, read some verses, and kind of hop around a little bit, so you can, you can follow along if you'd like. Um, you can also just listen. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2, verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work 
that he had done. Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Moving on to Genesis 2.8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Genesis 2.15 The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Some verses from Genesis pertaining to work. Thank God for this book of the Bible that lays out these key themes for us right from the beginning. We need Genesis. We need these verses. We need these truths in our lives because there's a lot of ideas out there about work. And a lot of ideas about work that are not biblical, not at least not wholly biblical. And, and for many of us, we are carried along in the tide of the culture and the culture's ideas about work. So all of us are influenced by non-biblical or not wholly biblical ideas about work. There are different perspectives about work. Let me hit on some of those. One perspective about work that's out there is work is a means to wealth. And wealth is a means to happiness. Work is a means to wealth. Wealth is a means to happiness. This is a prevalent view of work, especially today. It's a way to get some money and maybe get some good money. Why do you want to do that? Well, money makes you happy. Money brings happiness. So work is about how much you get paid or getting paid enough. The worth of a job is the size of the paycheck, and the worth of a company is the number on the bottom line. So what it often means is that we pursue the biggest paycheck. We pursue the, the job that will pay us the most, or we pursue enough overtime perhaps in the job to get a big paycheck so that we can have more money and maybe the more prestige that comes with that. So tied in with this is this view of life that the quality of my life is related to the stuff I have. Either the quantity or quality of the stuff I have. Happiness comes from having the right stuff or a lot of stuff. And so we know, we think of the classic example of that, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? You know the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. He had this wonderful opportunity, wonderful sister, family, had a wonderful, beautiful, vivacious woman who wanted to marry him, and he traded it all for money. He traded not only those things, he traded old Fezziwig for Jacob Marley as his partner. He gave up all that stuff for money, and you know the, the story. And, and we look at that story, but... But you know what? There's a, a variation of that story nowadays. And, and for many of us, we're not like Ebenezer Scrooge in that we don't trade family and, and marriage and even an employer, a good employer, for money. We actually have them as part of what we're doing. We want to make money for those people. It's a common, I think, view of work these days that work is about getting the best paycheck we can for those we love. And there's some good motives in that. 
But with that comes the philosophy that the best thing that I can do for my family is to give them the right stuff to, for my kids. And boy, I've, I've found this in my life. For my kids, the best thing I can do is to give them that 5,000 square foot home in, in Andover. Sports camps, maybe vacations in Europe. Nothing against Andover, by the way. I love Andover. In uh, the best colleges I can for them. And so that's what life is about. I've got to get a job that pays enough to do these things. For me, I, I've, I've struggled with that. Uh, I came from a fairly affluent family from, in a fairly affluent town, uh, Andover version down in West Boston, Wellesley. Don't snicker and sneer, please, but that's my hometown. So I was used to that, and I came out of college, and, and God saw fit to move us into the inner city. And I can remember the struggle, thinking, what are we doing here? And, and, and God confronted this thing in my life that I thought it was about having this stuff. Later on in my life, I remember when I chose to leave my job as, as a research engineer, making very good money and very comfortable, wonderful job, to be a pastor. And, and one Monday afternoon, which was my day off, I sat there. We were living in a townhouse, didn't own a house, didn't have property, had just gone out with my kids. We had played hide-and-go-seek in a local park because we didn't have a yard. And I remember this this thought coming into my mind, what have I done? What have I done to my kids? I'm putting them through this misery. For what? Just this thought that, you know, I was a loser basically because I didn't have a nice home with a big yard and everything to offer my children. So maybe you're like me, but this is a common view of work, that it's about a means to wealth, and wealth is a means to happiness. Another view is that work is a means to self-fulfillment. It's about finding fulfillment, doing something we're called to do. Now, each of these perspectives, I'm not trying to say they're wrong, but they're just not wholly biblical, at least. So we can see work as a means to self-fulfillment, and a lot of college students view work that way. The reason they choose, choose the majors they do is because they're looking for self-fulfillment. They're looking for their call, what they're supposed to be. And there's a lot of legitimacy to that. I know for me, that op- this one operated in my life. And actually what happened is my senior year, I suddenly, re- suddenly realized I'm studying to be an engineer. And that means sitting at a desk doing widgets, making widgets. And I don't want to make widgets. I want to do something else. And I remember being horrified at that. And uh, thankfully, God gave me a job where I was not just making widgets, but doing a lot of interactions with people and felt very fulfilled. But you know what I learned is that probably half my job was doing stuff that wasn't very fulfilling, doing paperwork and administrative stuff. For me, administrative stuff is not that fulfilling. Sorry, anyone who's an administrative type person. But I found so much of my job is like that. Many of us have that perspective and can find ourselves disillusioned. There's work as a necessary evil. But work is just a necessary evil. We need to work because we need a paycheck. We need to eat. And so it's just kind of a necessary evil. And a lot of Christians have this view that work is somehow a, a regular job, is somehow just to get a paycheck, just to get food on the table and, and a house and to be able to give to the kingdom and stuff like that. And with that often comes this view that there's this secular, sacred division in life. And really good work is working for the church, either voluntarily or full-time or whatever. That's holy work. And everything else is, is less than that. And so within Christendom, there's that view that work is a necessary evil, that my job is just about finding something to make a paycheck. What I really want to do is work for the church and for the kingdom. And uh, that's not a biblical perspective. Sadly, within Christendom, there are many leaders who teach this either directly or implicitly, that if you really want to 
serve God, you've got to be on staff or you've got to be a church worker. And again, it's not biblical and it's a, it's a terrible thing, I think, to inflict on people. Another view, there's a lot of views out there, I'll hit one more, is the view that work today, most work today, most work, modern work, is really the result of capitalism. And that there's been this whole system that's come up where we have to work in factories and we have to kind of work for the companies so they can make their bottom lines and this is capitalistic and personal system. And that's what work is. And if you really want to work, you do something different. You, you sell your house and you leave your factory job and you go move to northern Vermont and you raise cows and, make, and you make organic cheese and that is real work. If you can be in touch with the land and farming and, and making something healthy, kind of like lead the life of a hobbit, you know, and, and leave that orc life of factory and production. And there's, so there's that view, that's out there. So there's different views out there. Do you guys identify with any of those? I mean, I, I, those are things that I've all thought, basically. Uh, and so we need to hear God's Word. We need God's Word to help us with this. This is a really important topic, and probably not one we hear a whole lot about, but boy, work is so important in our lives. It's so pervasive. We work a lot of hours. And our identity and how we view life comes from work. And thank God He's given us Genesis. And this is what I think Genesis says to us about work. This is what I think not only Genesis, but the whole Bible says about work, that work is a God-given privilege. Work is a God-given privilege whereby we cooperate with God to bring about His blessings. It's a God-given privilege whereby we cooperate with God to bring about His blessings. That's what I think the the teaching of the Bible is about work. So first, let's talk about the fact that it's a God-given privilege. It's interesting to note when you look in Genesis, the first person working is whom? God, right? The very first verse in the Bible is God created the heavens and the earth. And then we looked at Verse 2, chapter 2, it said after six days, he finished his what? His work. So he is the one who works. He is the first one who works. Part of God's nature is to produce and create, to work. And he worked in those first six days. As a matter of fact, he's working throughout all creation. Jesus said, my Father is always at work. So it's a characteristic of God to be working to be producing and creating and bringing about His plan and His purposes through work. So there is something about work that is God-like. And so when He made us in His image, He called us to work too. So work is about being made in God's image. It's about being like God. God is one who works. Work is an evil. Work is not a curse. Work is a privilege from God because we're made in His image. He's the one who works. And if we looked also in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, God planted a garden in the east, and He put the man who He had formed, and He called him to be a gardener, and then out of the ground He produced all these wonderful trees that were good to look at and good to eat. There's an important truth in that verse and in what Genesis presents and how it presents the call of Adam and mankind to work. And I think it's rooted in these verses. Before Adam does anything, before he even touches the soil, 
and does any gardening or anything, what has God already done in terms of the garden, in terms of agriculture? Is, there, is Adam the one who's responsible for bringing all the trees up, causing everything to spring forth? Who is? God. God. God is the one who causes the trees to spring forth. God is the one who gives the soil fertility. And the man's job is to garden. There is something he's called to, but behind all that is a God who's working all these ways that are, that are not necessarily seen by the man. And there's a truth in that that we need to know. God calls us to work. And it's a God-given privilege, but He Himself is behind it all, already working. You see, Adam's job, he was called to garden, he was called to, to get in the soil and you know, dig the soil up and plant and water and so forth. But was Adam responsible to, to cause photosynthesis to happen with the trees? Was Adam responsible to make photons work the right way when they hit the, the leaves and everything? Did Adam determine that the leaves should be green and not some other color? Did Adam cause the soil to chemically be the right content to, to, to do the chemical reactions to produce a tree? Did he make the sun come up? Did he make the rain fall? No. There's, as a matter of fact, there's billions and billions of things that Adam did not do that God does and did. And so Adam's role is very small. He's called to work. He's called to cooperate with God, but his role is small. Similarly for us, we are called to work. But the reality is that God is the one who's working and doing all these things. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the one who's behind all these things. And then he asked us to come along and work, participate with him, cooperate with him. But really, our role is very small. It's very small. It's significant, but it's small. We must recognize that truth. That we are kind of like the young child who sits on his father's lap in the car. And as the father drives, the car has his foot on the gas and the brake and his hands on the wheel. He allows the child to put his hands on the steering wheel and they drive down the driveway and the kid's saying, Daddy, Daddy, I'm driving the car, I'm driving the car. But who's driving the car? The father. He's got control, but he allows the child to participate. The child thinks that he has a significant part. That's what it's like for us. God is driving the car. God is the one who's working out His plan and accomplishing His blessings in many ways. But He has us participate. He has us kind of put our hands on the wheel. And so we're, we drive a forklift to help a company produce cans and, and to, to make that product available. Or we are a machinist that makes products for companies or an air traffic controller helping regulate the sky. But who causes everything to happen successfully behind that? God. We participate. We cooperate with Him. But it is He who is the one who is working. So as we approach work, let this truth, the truth of Genesis, dispel any notion that we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders and our job. And if I don't get this done, this goes for all of us, if I don't get this done, the world is going to stop rotating and the universe is going to come crashing down. God is the one who's at work. We cooperate with Him, but it, but it doesn't depend on us. And so it's okay to leave work on time. It's okay to take vacation. It's okay to rest. It's okay to forget about work when we leave work. 
He is the one who's working. He calls us to partner with Him, but it doesn't rest on us. Martin Luther says, God's blessings at times come to us through labors and at times without our labors, but never because of our labors. For God always gives them because of His undeserved mercy. So He uses us, but it's from Him. He is the one who's working. So let us not be self-sufficient at work, but rest and rely on Him. So it's a God-given privilege. God is the one who works. He's the one who's working behind everything, and He allows us to participate. And we do that. The next thing I want to talk about is how we cooperate with God. We cooperate with Him. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, talks about how He made God in His image. And He blessed them, and He said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the ground. He calls mankind to be engaged in the creation and to fill it and subdue it. He calls us to participate in ruling over creation. But God Himself is the ultimate ruler. He's the one who causes it all to happen. But He's given us this responsibility, in a sense, under His leadership to rule the earth and to subdue it. To, to use natural resources and put them together and make stuff and bless people. He's called us to certain roles being made in His image. We are to roll our sleeves up and get involved. God's putting the man in the garden. He didn't want him to be some sort of passive sub-ruler under him, just kind of issuing decrees. He called him to be a gardener. A gardener. To take care of this royal garden and what's gardening like? Is gardening something you just sit there and you stay clean? No. You get involved in gardening, right? You get your knees dirty. You get dirt under your fingernails. You sweat. You get involved. God called mankind to this. He called us to, to exert effort and participate in what He's doing. We cooperate with God. There's effort. There's labor. We give. Though it may be insignificant compared to what God does, there is an active role. And God put the man in the garden to have an active role. And those statements, that commission to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, not only applies to gardening, but applies to us today and what we do. And you guys in your different jobs as a homeschool mom or a, a homemaker or at a factory or Dr. Dennis, even a lawyer, those sort of jobs, we are doing, we are fulfilling that commandment to fill the earth, to multiply, to subdue it. So we're fulfilling that commission through our different jobs. There's no sacred secular division in Scripture. Every job means something to God. Every job is part of fulfilling the mandate He gave to Adam. Every job is holy. Every job is spiritual. Every job is worthwhile, no matter what it may be. Later on, we're going to talk about this. Paul talks to slaves in Colossians 3 and tells them to work out what they do with all their heart since they're working for the Lord. So even slaves in the most menial, even most degrading tasks are doing it for God, for worship, to fulfill this mandate. So we cooperate with God. We are cooperating with Him, accomplishing His purposes. We see it throughout Scripture. So not only Adam himself, 
does this in taking care of the garden. But if you continue to read, you see God, when God wants to accomplish something, he uses his people. That's a truth we, kinda, we have to hold together. The first truth, it's a God-given privilege. God is sovereign. God is the one who sustains all things. He accomplishes all his purposes. But God has chosen to do that through means. And we must never think that the sovereignty of God, that the majesty of God, that God ruling over all thing is, things is without means, without ways to accomplish that. God could have just done everything without anybody, but he has chosen in, in his ways to use agents, to use means to accomplish his purposes. And so that's part of our call. We cooperate with God in accomplishing his purposes. He works through people. So throughout Scripture, you'll see, when he wants to get something done, he does it through people. He uses prophets to declare his truth. He uses craftsmen in Exodus chapter 31 to build the tabernacle. Do you guys know that story? He wants to build this tabernacle, this place of worship, this model of the the garden, really, where they'll come and worship God, they'll come and offer sacrifices and into his presence. And so what does he do when he wants a tabernacle form? He tells them what to do and then he anoints people. Aholiab and Bezalel. Great names. You name your children that. Everyone will ask why is that his name and you can tell them. Um, these two guys are, are anointed as craftsmen to build the tabernacle. They are given gifts to, to build and to make all these articles and, and the Ark of the Covenant and the golden lampstand and the fine clothing. He gives them gifts. And that's throughout Scripture. God gives gifts to people to accomplish His purposes. Nehemiah is given gifts to lead His people, to be a cupbearer. Ezra the scribe, the Proverbs 31 woman. There's just, when you read that story, the Proverbs 31 woman who's active, not only uh, loving her husband and her family, but even trading and, and making cloths and so forth. God's using this woman to be a blessing. She's cooperating with God. Think of uh, Tabitha in the book of Acts. And she, she's a, she dies, actually. What happens, she gets raised from the dead. But, but all the people remember her by holding the garments she made for people. She was being used by God to bring blessing to people. And they knew it. And so as they mourned, they had the garments. And God used Peter to raise her from the dead. But, but Tabitha was an agent. She was a means of God's blessing to the church. See, God is a God who's good and gracious. And yes, sin came into the world and has corrupted things, but God has not changed. And God is good and He wants to pour out blessing on mankind. It's undeserved. But He has chosen in order to, to pour out blessing on mankind to do it through you guys and through us as we engage in our different jobs, as we work. So no job is menial. No job is meaningless. It is the agency through which God brings blessing to people for His glory. He's a good God. He wants to use us in our jobs. So every job we have, given that it's a moral job and brings good, is being used by God as an agency for His blessing. And again, Scripture knows no distinction between secular and sacred. It's interesting. Do you know at the time that there was a strong, among the the people who lived in the area, the Egyptians, for example, the Greeks, and even today, there was a very much a distinction between sacred and secular. Basically, most work was considered as dirty. They saw work 
for mankind as a curse, that because of sin, man had to work. The Bible doesn't present that, right? Adam's working before there's any sin. God himself is working. So the Bible is, is free in, in communicating the sacredness of all work. And we know that for, for a number of reasons. We know because look at the sort of people that became great leaders in Israel. They had very normal jobs up until the time they were perhaps called. In Egypt, to be a shepherd was a, was a degrading, dirty thing. Matter of fact, the Egyptians despised shepherds, so that's why they set Israel off in a different land. The Bible doesn't know anything like that. Matter of fact, God thought so much and thinks so much about shepherding that he made a shepherd the king of Israel. He made a shepherd the king of Israel. Jesus himself was a carpenter, right? How many years did Jesus spend in his ministry throughout Israel? Three. How many years before that had he been working as a carpenter? Well, he was roughly 30, right? So maybe 20 years working under his father's apprenticeship when he's young. Many, many years. And, and the Bible says nothing anywhere negative about that. If anything, it's seen as positive. Certainly. And that's the, the record of Scripture. So in, in Scripture, all these different jobs are, are seen as, as good things, as blessings, as holy. There's no distinction. There's no sacred, secular. That's something that comes from outside the Bible. And for us as a culture, we still see that. We still see it in the church. And that, that kind of made its inroads into the church as the church got away from the Bible. And, and basically non-Christian or pagan influences came in and said there's a distinction. The Bible does not know that. So there's no distinction. And so all the truths that we know, that we often think are, well, they are spiritual truths, we apply those to the workplace. Okay, it's not that when you go to jo your job, you are like just a cog in the machine and you're no longer a Christian on the job. I know you guys don't think like that, but, just, but, but think about it this way. Do you go to your job and do you get in a different mindset than when you're in your quiet time? And where does that come from? That's not biblical. I do it. I'm not trying to accuse you guys because I do that. That's not biblical. All work is holy. All work is participating with God and accomplishing His blessings. And just as we look at Sunday mornings as a time to be in God's presence, when we're at work, it should be the same. Work should be worship and fellowship with God. And so, we read about Jesus, and I like to think about it this way. Jesus says in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Son does, the the son, whatever the Father does, sorry, that the Son does likewise. So that's when He's doing His ministry. He's preaching the Gospel, raising the dead. But there's no distinction between sacred and sacred in Scripture. So when Jesus was working as a carpenter, I think He had the same mindset. I do what I see the Father doing. I fellowship with God. God is using me as a carpenter in this village to bring blessing and to do things. And I can just picture Him. I can just picture Him in His quiet time or, or, or sitting there at the table or whatever, however He did His carpentry job, thinking, Father, what do you want me to make today? What should I do? How can I cooperate with what you're doing? That's right. The widow Miriam needs a new door. That's right. And I know just what I'm going to do. I'm going to use that acacia wood I had set aside to build her a nice door. A nice, lightweight, strong door. And, oh, Father, I can't wait till she sees that installed and the look on her face. See, Jesus had fellowship, I believe, with the Father. There was no 
distinction there. So when he was a carpenter, I believe he did that. And there was a consistency. And we too are to see work that way. Now there's other testimony in Scripture behind this. But work is worship. It is to be worship. It's a God-given privilege by which we cooperate with God to bring about His blessings. Now sin, we know, has entered the world and brought corruption and has made it so that work is not a pure joy. We sweat. We are unsuccessful. But the commission to work is no different. And the purpose in work is no different. Yes, there's, there is sin. There is hardship in it. But Christ has come. Christ has come and He was the perfect carpenter. He fellowshiped with God in His carpentry. He obeyed the Father in every way. He made doors or for the widows and whatever else He was called to do. Matter of fact, in every way He fulfilled all things. He was the perfect worker, the perfect son, the perfect Jew. To the point as the God-man going to the cross and dying for sins on the cross. So He fulfilled all these things and then He died for us, for our sins. Sins such as seeing work in an unbiblical way, despising God's call on us, things like that, all, all our sins. For any who would come to Him and repent and believe, He bears our sins and pays for them so we can be forgiven and we can know new life. He rose again victorious over sin and death and calls us to repent and believe and calls, calls us now to see work differently than we have and to experience redemption at work, to experience Him coming in and changing how we see work and now seeing work as worship and restoring work. Now there's still sin and we still struggle, but because of Christ, that's changed now. And now those difficulties at work which we all face, and work will press us. Work will be hard at times. Sometimes we'll be unemployed. Sometimes we'll be unsuccessful. Sometimes it's just going to wear us out. But because of Christ, that now is transformed in how we relate to that because now that's an opportunity to run to Him. And in our weakness at work, and in our lack of success, and even in our frustration, to find Christ strengthening us and helping us and so now we can offer an example to those around us of redemption. And so at work, as we struggle, as we come to Him and say, Lord, I'm having a hard day. This is a bad day. I'm having a hard day. And we experience His grace. We remember His love and His forgiveness. We experience the Spirit of God ministering to us the Word of God. We now can shine for Him at work. It doesn't mean you shine perfectly. Sometimes shining just means, hey, I'm having a hard time, and I can point you to the one that helps, and I'm trying to hold on to him. It doesn't mean we always do that perfectly, but we can offer true help. And so work has been changed. This old sin has come because of Christ. It's being redeemed. And now we can begin to see that this is an arena in which we glorify God, in which we cooperate with Him in accomplishing His purposes. So Paul in Colossians chapter 3 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Work is to be worship of God. 
It is to be worship of Him. It is to be in context of this truth that it's a God-given privilege where we cooperate with Him to bring about blessing. He has chosen to use this means of work to bring about blessing. James 1.17 verse says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is a God who gives good gifts. He wants to bring blessings and He uses us in our workplace as we work and as we produce things and as we point to Christ as we struggle as well. In 1 Chronicles 29, David worships the Lord. They're building this temple and he says, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house and your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. He acknowledges all this wealth here, all this blessing comes from you, God, but it came through the agency of people. People gave to the building of the tabernacle. We give to God in our work. He uses us to bring about His blessings. And so we are to participate with Him, cooperate, fellowship with Him in it, and see our purpose to bring about blessing, no matter what the job might be. You know, sometimes we may listen to this and think, yeah, well, easy for you to say because you're a pastor and, and you get to, your job is you get to preach the Gospel and talk about the Word. And we can see how clearly that's, you know, hopefully, <laughs> that's used by God for good. But what about my job? What about my job? I put toothpaste caps on toothpaste bottles at the factory every day, all day long. I mean, how possibly could that be such a worthwhile thing? How could that be cooperating with God to bring about His blessings? Well, it is. Colossians 3 is given to slaves doing manual tasks. Matter of fact, this, that verse really came home to me in a job that I had that was a lot like being a toothpaste uh, cap screwer on. I packed pickles for three summers, I think. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's true. Actually, you know, somebody has to pack the pickles in the jars. You know, you guys have probably been enjoying spear pickles for years and never realized that somebody had to cooperate with God to bring about the blessing of that spear pickle that you're enjoying. Right? It just didn't materialize. It's not done by even a robot. Matter of fact, robots can't do it. It's too difficult because the cucumbers come in different sizes and they can't... They're non-standard. They can't make it work. And, and if they just stuffed them in the jar, you wouldn't want to buy them. You wouldn't be as blessed at the store to see just random cucumbers. You want to see seeds the whole way around. And so, and so we had to pack pickles. And what we did is we, you take... Actually, cucumbers when we packed them. And there's, it was in a factory. And the jars come down, and you take two jars, and you take your cucumbers, and you pack them in a ring with the seeds facing outwards. Some of you guys have heard my boasting on pickles before, so I apologize I forgot to bring my trophy. I actually got a trophy for packing pickles. I was, I told the, I told the exploring King of Grace this morning that I was actually the fastest pickle packer in the country because we were the fastest production line. It was mostly Christians. Um, and and uh, people were motivated. And we were the fastest production line in the country. And I was actually, for a little while, two years, I was the fastest packer on the fastest production line. And this verse meant a lot to me. And I was learning about applying Colossians 3 because I would pack about 100, 100 cases a day. That was fast. I, uh, back then it was good money, too. Um, and each case is 12 jars. And each jar is 10 to 15 cucumbers in it. You have to put them in a circle and stuff the middle. And so 10 to 15 cucumbers times 12 jars times 100 jars, that's about 18,000, I think, 18,000 cucumber slices a day that I was moving. 
That's monotonous. That's tedious. But this verse meant something to us. And this verse, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, changed my view of packing pickles. And I was able to pack pickles for God's glory. Matter of fact, I was, I was so fast <laughs> um, in my packing that I, when I packed with a guy across from me, it was this guy, I forget his name, a younger guy, I was thinking five cucumbers ahead as I'm packing. They just put them in a mound between you. And this guy, every now and then, would, he was... I'm going like this. And he's going. And every now and then he'd grab one of the, pickle, the cucumbers that I had my eyes on. And, and, and I found that I would get angry at him. Like, you know, what are you doing? Leave it. Just go pack in the corner there with your cucumbers. Leave mine alone. Um, and actually, I, was, I had the record. It was 120 cases, 124 in a day. And I was packing at that rate. And I had to slow down. Because I was sinning against this guy and trying to make... The, the record. And so I learned this verse that this isn't about the record. This isn't about making that extra money. It's about the glory of God. So for me, it meant slowing down. It says, do all things. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Packing pickles. Cleaning. Changing diapers. Sweeping floors. Installing electrical stuff. banking stuff, whatever it might do. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And there's a promise with this. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. God rewards me for packing pickles for His glory. Isn't that wild? God is so gracious... He says, I want to bless people with spear pickles. And by the way, I still love spear pickles, so don't worry about any factory secrets. They're they're great. He says, I want to bless people with these sour pickles. And I want to use you to do that. And when you do it unto me, and you fellowship with me, you're rewarded. I can't wait to get to heaven to see what what my reward for pickle packing is. I think it will be better than the Golden Pickle Award that I have sitting on my shelf at home. And for each of us, there's a reward, there's a blessing. Certainly in this life and in the future. It says here, you are serving the Lord Christ. Folks, it doesn't say you, are, you need to share the Gospel to have a reward. Certainly there is a reward for that. It doesn't say you have to be full, full-time staff to get a reward. It says whatever you do. See, God has given work as a gift to us whereby we participate with Him, cooperate with Him in what He's doing in the earth to bring His blessings about. So the question as we conclude, if the band could come up, how about you? How about your job? What attitudes have you had perhaps, even this week, that don't line up with Genesis, don't line up with this truth, don't line up with Colossians 3? What ways do you, do I, need to adjust and think about our work differently? doesn't mean it's not hard. I mean to say that. doesn't mean we have to be Pollyanna with work and just have a fake smile all day. But it does mean there's a truth behind what we're doing that comes from God. There's a commission from God for our work, for His purposes. And we ought to fellowship with Him. 
and walk with God in our work and see Him glorified. And as Christians, to see how we work redeemed for His glory. See, God is a God of the nitty-gritty. He loves to show Himself through things like pack and pickles or whatever it might be. He loves to show up and minister through that to magnify His name. So just consider what the Lord would have you do, what attitudes you need to adjust. And let us bathe in Genesis 1-3 to in the wonderful truth that work is a God-given privilege whereby we cooperate with God to bring about His blessings. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for Your people, Lord. I, I ask You, Lord, for this truth to, to uh, infiltrate us, to permeate us, Lord. Lord, for some of us here, we perhaps have been looking at our job as something less than what You call us to do. Some of us here are, are longing for another job, a better job, not seeing that You call us. All jobs are callings. All jobs are vocations from You. And I pray that there'd be new life, new enthusiasm, a new perspective for our work. And that we would work at it with all our hearts. As for you. Lord, you know your people. You know the different things that we need. And I just pray you'd use these truths to change how we view work and to glorify you as we work. We pray. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.